The following podcast is rated I for intellectual. It contains jargonistic terminology that might be too stimulating for some listeners. Topics discussed are approached with an emphasis towards educational fair use. Critical thinking is advised. Hello, welcome to Special Topics in Media Studies. Uh, my name is Garrett Castleberry, and I host this lecture podcast where we explore a different mass medium each season in in the show, in the course, uh, right? Often it coincides with one or more of our classes that we host at Mid-American Christian University in our Communication, Media, and Ethics program, and we are excited about the the turning wheels and the opportunity to engage new texts. We are on the verge of kicking off season six of the Special Topics podcast, and joining me once again is our comics aficionado and uh, scholar, Kyle Hammonds. Kyle's here with me right now, and we're here to tell the listeners about what's on deck for this season. Kyle, it's great to have you back. Are you excited for this uh, for this upcoming opportunity to have some discussion about comics once again? Oh, I'm so excited. It's been uh, it's been just a, a blast to be able to be a part of this process in the the previous seasons and semesters. And with our new text for this particular season, I think we're going to be able to dive into some fun conversations. So thank you so much for having me again. Absolutely. And let's get right to it. We have a selection that should excite a number of our students because we really went in this direction based on student feedback. This season, we are going to uh, turn a page and look at a storyline that comes out of Marvel Comics, all right? And so not not necessarily the Marvel Universe or the MCU as, as wider culture is now so familiar, but we're going to be looking at the graphic literature that inspired one of the Marvel films that we'll talk about uh, momentarily, but... Our focus this season is going to be Marvel Civil War, and uh, Civil War is uh, was released in serialized format um, back in 2006, and it kind of went into 2007 as well. It's a seven-issue miniseries, although if you're familiar at all with serialized superhero comics, they have a number of tie-in miniseries and what's called one-shots, right? So there are all these tertiary stories that are always uh, kind of interwoven. However, we're just going to be looking at the main miniseries, right? Uh, the the sort of the central arc. And um, so if you're a part of the class or if you're uh, an outside listener, right? An audience member that wants to be more participative, uh, be a part of that participatory culture, as Henry Jenkins would say. Um, pick up a copy, right? A trade paperback or maybe the digital copy of Marvel Civil War from author Mark Millar and artist Steve McNiven. All right, so Millar, um, let's let's talk about the kind of um, uh, background on, on our author and then maybe the text a little bit just to, just to paint a picture for our readers in advance. That could be helpful. Uh, Mark Millar is, um, is a Scottish writer who is no stranger, not only to the world of comics, but increasingly to, uh, to Hollywood, right? He's had a number of his works um, adapted into film form, including 
wanted. Uh, the uh, of course we've talked about civil war, uh, but also texts like uh, Kingsman, right? The Kingsman series, which continues to continues to crank out new movies, even though I think this most recent prequel film. Um, didn't didn't do quite so well uh, performance wise at the at the box office, but right. it 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 kind of is 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 swept up in that that tricky conversation that that has to do with streaming rights and and you know the the desire for big big corporate uh, business interests to release content to their platform while perhaps to the detriment of uh, the, the movie-going experience and film culture as a theatrical public arena for uh, consumption. Well, anyway, um, so Mark Miller is, uh, is actually also no stranger to Marvel Comics. He was one of the chief creative heads to help launch what was referred to as the ultimate uh, line of comics, or the ultimate universe of stories. This, this happened uh, around the turn of the century, um, kind of in proximity with the new millennium where other writers like Brian Michael Bendis and, uh, and, and a few other voices were, were part of a, a kind of small batch experimentation with essentially giving artists and writers an opportunity to re-envision characters, um, not only their look, but, but kind of modernize and update their, their origins, their, uh, their, their, um, their narrative uh, representation in a way that what isn't over exhausted by decades and decades of continuity, right? And so that ultimate line proved quite successful, uh, especially Ultimate Spider-Man and a book that was simply called The Ultimates, which Millar was, uh, was, was a writer on. And The Ultimates was actually their version of The Avengers. It was the quote-unquote real-world take on The Avengers, so much so that when you want to talk about art, inspiring life, inspiring art, and that sort of thing, uh, the Ultimates was where we saw Nick Fury be- be- begin to physically resemble Samuel L. Jackson in the artist rendition years before he was cast as Nick Fury. But it was a clear inspiration that that then had a, played a meta role once once that character and that actor were introduced into the to the films and film series. Were you at all familiar with any of the Ultimate books during their heyday? I I was. This was actually, you know, speaking of influence of Millar's work and um, and of the Ultimates series, I had a, a number of friends growing up who were not really comics readers, but they became comics readers over time. And a lot of that is due to the Ultimates. It gave them an accessible entry point into comics stories and continuity. They didn't feel like they had to sift through decades of history to understand what was going on with the characters. So the the Ultimates was a, a really nice way of capturing the spirit of some of these characters, especially Spider-Man, right? But give them a, a bit of a contemporary twist, give a, a sort of starting point or entry point for folks who are new to comics. And we've we've seen the influence in later media as well. Uh, adaptations into television and film so the yeah the ultimates very influential i was i was an ultimate spider-man reader more than anything spider-man is one of my favorite marvel characters but i know that the the general approach to the ultimates and kind of streamlining those stories for new readers 
brought a lot of folks into comics who weren't necessarily there before. Absolutely. And that was part of the commercial you know, intent was, was to capitalize on new opportunities to bring readers in, which has always been a, uh, a, a needs area and a focal point that, that comics have to attend to, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're kind of driven by uh, what some scholars consider an insular group of fans, but, but increasingly as, as they become more and more popular, not to, not to exhaust that term, um, uh, as comics uh, and, and superheroes and, and these intellectual properties become more popular, it's, you have to negotiate that tension between how open a text can be to bringing in an audience. Well, that's, that's not un, uh, 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 dissimilar to our process here, right? We're, we're right. attempting to, through, uh, th- specifically through our special topics in media studies course, um, um, the, the version that we run on an accelerated format each spring, we try to emphasize um, different mass media that uh, conglomerate to form what we call mythic media in America. And graphic novels have been a well uh, uh, for us, a source of nutrients over uh, several years. And we're excited to pivot into some Marvel's narrative and storytelling through that process. We've looked at in the past, uh, DC, Batman in particular with The Dark Knight Returns, the first graphic novel that we experimented with. And then last, uh, a couple of seasons ago, you joined me for a deep dive into a, a story we both uh, appreciate greatly, um, Kingdom Come from from Alex Ross. And um, uh, this is a chance to, to look at um, look, maybe even open up some comparison and contrast between DC versus Marvel type storytelling. That oh, that yeah. could certainly be on deck because what is it about Marvel that perhaps translates better to the wide audience? As we've seen in recent years, the their popularity is booming with with, with seemingly no ending in sight. Right, we're just we're just anticipating. We're waiting for the next press release. Uh, you know, the the strategic info dump, uh-huh. uh, or uh, you know, clip or teaser or what have you. Right, we're kind of inundated in that. Uh, that stage of, of information age type marketing. Um, but, but this is a book that hopefully will have an entrance point. As we said, this is a story that came out in the mid-2000s. There's a reason. And I think what we're going to find here is, uh, is an interesting representation of some of these characters. Perhaps even some contentu- content- contentious uh, takes uh, on some fan favorites. And we'll explore all that in much greater detail as we get into the book. We, we're, we're planning to set aside uh, one episode per issue, as we said. Seven issues, seven, uh, seven main eps, and then this opportunity to introduce our audience to the topic. Not unlike the way that comics usually start off a big event with the, what they call a one-shot, right? Mm-hmm. Which it kind of essentially sets the stage for the reader, um, kind of catches them up. Or what's their appetite for what's to come, right? A little bit of that foreshadowing. Well, um, Mark Millar is an interesting voice. Uh, I, I'll, I'll cap this off, but but to say by coming from um, the UK, right? By initially Scotland, he's he's a lot of his media is able to uh, not just pl- uh, play with these intellectual properties in a storytelling manner, but but even critique some of the American ideas that were behind them. And so I look forward to unpacking some of those 
choices as we get into the text itself. But let's first uh, ask the question, where? Um, where does Civil War fall into oh, a tricky term in comics conversations? Continuity. Now, continuity is, a, is, I mean, if there's five keywords relating to superhero comics, continuity is probably one of them. Continuity, of course, uh, is the is the is the sort of long form storytelling uh, history that that is uh, repetitiously building upon itself, while also at times rewriting itself uh, in a process that we also refer to as as uh, retconning, right? Which is short for retroactive continuity. Um, but this this particular uh, book, Civil War, this this story uh, comes out of a couple of a um, couple of previous storylines, at least that's where that's where the momentum is coming from, including Avengers Disassembled, House of M, and then some of the fallout from House of M that included uh, Decimation and the new Avengers um, book that was uh, that was written. So let let me let me kind of break down. This Avengers Disassembled was actually a jumping on point for me. Uh, at that point in time in Marvel Comics, I'd I'd collected some um, as a, as a kid, some some as a collector, some out of you know various interests. Um, it, it, let me let me spin it this way: in the '90s, there were a lot of holographic covers, and sometimes like what's new and shiny and neat is is the reason you're purchasing something, not necessarily uh, to open it up and actually read what's inside, but. Um, but this was an instance where I had been recently drawn back in to, to the narrative world. I, I was appreciating the process of reading in the early and mid-2000s um, to a great deal, starting with some bat books, right? Uh, that's that's really what had kind of uh, whet my appetite for um, this genre of uh, graphic literature. Me too. And, and so as I was diversifying my pull list, as they call it, um, I, I started dabble in some Marvel storytelling, and Avengers Disassembled was a really interesting um, story that was quickly being collected into trade paperbacks, which which is kind of the convenience of helping that consumer get on board, like to say, oh, the whole story is contained here. Let me let me see what that's about. If I like it, I'll I'll do some other. And it was the the painterly style of the covers of House of M were just coming out. And I was so blown away by by the the maturity of that of that art style, uh, and this was an age where comics was in, was in an enormous transition into into in a, a kind of hyper realism in in some of their illustrations yes. that I immediately collected, went back and read the disassembled so that I could feel comfortable in this House of M storyline. Well, Avengers Disassembled delivers on its promise. It is. It is a deconstruction of the Avengers. Uh, the the classic team is, and and I'm not going to go into heavy detail at all here. But let's just, I mean, let's just say each character uh, kind of has their own arc, and um, they're they're not all coming out uh, rosy on the other side. And so um, there is an enormous revelation at the end of Disassembled that immediately sets the stage for House of M, which is a a, a kind of X-Men centric um, miniseries, but it but it does tie into uh, a 
current or former Avenger. Uh, Wanda Maximoff for the Scarlet Witch, right? So she's the kind of crossover between Avengers Disassembled, House of M, uh, House of M, both miniseries, by the way, written by uh, what Brian Michael Bendis. So yeah. uh, he would. This was the uh, um, epoch of where where his writerly control was all over Marvel Comics. And so he's writing in multiple universes simultaneously. He's still writing the Ultimate Lines, uh, so is Millar. Um, um, primarily just those two voices dominated the majority of those books' runs. But then we also have uh, him over in the normal, um, what, 616 universe or whatever it's called, you know, the main continuity uh, Marvel. And so uh, that House of M... As it, it wound down and the <laughs> revelations from that story come to pass, uh, it led into a kind of transitional period that they call decimation. Listen, this is just fun wordplay. Hey, it's narrative writing. Um, but uh, but an important spinoff of this was what they retitled New Avengers. And the New Avengers was, you guessed it, written by Bendis. But it, it was a reorganization of the Avengers team. And so they were really playfully allowing kind of characters to kind of do different team ups and matchups. And that's always been something that's exciting to me about these comics is we, we, we understand them in their, in their, in their kind of natural elements, right? The world that like Batman and Gotham city, Superman, Metropolis and so on. Right. Um, but, but the mix matching, I think when that's done effectively is one of the most compelling aspects of that storytelling type. Right. Um, and I think that's what, in my opinion, that's what worked for me uh, with some of the later Avengers movies was you were getting these new types of team ups and, and character interactions that were just really dynamic. And 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 they, and they kind of they spark with something that that maybe you're not getting in a solo film or even even a traditional even a traditional uh, team film. Absolutely. And on the while we're on this question of where, I was thinking about the historical context here as well. That that following the awful events of nine eleven, right? Uh, Sean Treat called called pop culture from that point on the the post nine eleven superhero zeitgeist, right? And so what what he's trying to say there is that superheroes became prolific shortly before these comics started coming out. And it also kind of popularized the idea of deconstructing authority figures. People had questions mm -hmm. about um, security and government control and how much power should central authorities have versus how much individuals should have. And that was very clear inspiration for things like uh, House of M and, of course, Civil War, as we'll be talking about together here, too. Absolutely. Uh, that's the perfect sort of takeaway here is that for new readers – those less familiar, maybe only only checking these out from a that that surface level of just pleasure and entertainment. This book series, Civil War, is uh, without question a post nine eleven allegorical treatise on uh, on rights, on um, uh, on politics in times of war in a contemporary setting. And uh, these superheroes are stand-ins for bigger ideas. And uh, hopefully that's going to give us a chance to uh, explore, explore some, some daunting questions, right? And I think the safe part of this is these superheroes are going to be exploring some of these tougher questions, right, about 
um, about decisions that you make in times of war or in times of uh, maybe paranoia, anxiety, mm -hmm. um, social unrest, um, but especially civil unrest. And so uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about in the weeks to come. Uh, ultimately, uh, leading into civil war, Marvel, Marvel left uh, viewers with a particular question in mind. Whose side are you on? And and so that's that's a maybe that's a question we can we can uh, with a wink and a nod play with each week as we as we uh, look at each issue where does and where it leaves us right with the classic uh, miniseries cliffhangers that that we are likely to encounter. Mm -hmm. um, and so a final question I might uh, pose here as we as we wrap up this introduction to the topic is why. Right? Why? Why explore civil war? What? What pertinence does it have, and um, and why is it significant um, in the context of uh, an assigned reading at, in a collegiate space? I mean, what's going on here, man? Uh, and so we we do have that's a, a bit of a, uh, a a rhetorical question between the two of us because we we certainly have some answers, but for our wider audience. Uh, let me start with this uh, point of order. Use the debate term there. Um, reader demand, student demand. We've we've looked at our uh, not just what we call EOCs, like end of course evaluations, but we 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 authentically engage a lot of student feedback. We're interested in it at MACU at least, uh, but but it's a, it's a pedagogical process really of a what what. What are what does the student want to encounter? What are they wanting out of that experience? And in recent years, while they appreciate, they definitely learn a lot about some of these DC superheroes that are very iconic, very mythic. Um, we've had many demands, uh, requests, really, um, for 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 some Marvel content, and so this is an opportunity to really kind of give back in that direction and um, hopefully satisfy some of those needs as uh, as we look to explore all of popular culture, not just one corner. The next uh, uh, re rationale I would offer is it's an influential storyline. This was a big event. Uh, it sold tons of copies of comics, but it did more than that. It got people talking. It got people thinking. It was it was it was generating you know press releases and write pieces on uh, uh, national publications like USA Today, right? And and places where you don't always see comics kind of getting a voice. And and let's remember, superhero movies were around in two thousand five, six, seven, and they were popular. They were growing in popularity, but they weren't wholly saturating culture the way we've we've definitely seen in the in the last five years or so right so this was a this was a genre on the rise right pre-mcu right which started in 08 that's so right that that speaks to the impact of this story if it was gaining traction like that before we had folks like robert downey jr promoting the, the genre this is such a great point because keep that in mind as you're reading is this this is potentially a series that's anticipating that leap, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we're seeing at the time is storytelling getting bolder in some ways, and um, and we can kind of explore those ramifications. Uh, that leads to the third rationale I'd offer: topical cultural context that uh, that gives the text rhetorical power. All right, and so that we're going to have some uh, some of those types of uh, deep intellectual conversations along the way. We'll try not to wade too deep into the weeds, but we but we do want to highlight the significance. And so Robert Rowland, um, 
longtime professor at the University of Kansas, and uh, he, a theorist of the rhetorical analysis model known as the I care model of rhetorical criticism. And in, he highlights that, that it, when following this I care model, you, you have to assess the cultural context of an artifact, a, a given piece of uh, communication that has persuasive value in an effort to, uh, you know, authentically understand or extricate its meaning. And so um, this is, this is a, uh, this is a topical text in its time that makes it valuable. It may still be topical in our time. That's a question that's going to drive us throughout is uh, what resonates, what, what remains an important question uh, and reason for revisiting this, this text. And finally, uh, I would offer as a closing implication, it's a popular film adaptation. One of the assignments that our students at least have, although I'd highly recommend writing exercises for anyone listening, is we have our students perform a, an adaptation analysis essay to conclude uh, this version of this course, right? The one that focuses on mythic media in America. And what's been uh, valuable about texts we've selected in the past is there is a there is at least one translation in an alternate medium that they can go to and then kind of do a comparative assessment of the literary text versus the uh, filmic text, right? And in this case, we have a, a very popular film, a transitional film in the M MCU history. Um, essentially, what's what happens before and what happens after, in my, in my assessment, is you know, is, is two different histories, right? That, that it, it, it does it, it's some big business. And so, well, we may yet get to unpack that uh, as we get deeper along and, and kind of start to draw connections. We will we'll hopefully leave some of those connections for you all to draw uh, and make as you uh, assess these texts. So that's what's on deck this season. This is going to be an awesome follow-up uh and i'm excited to get into stretch our marvel muscles kyle this is this oh, yeah. is going to be a fun chance to um to to explore the characters i i feel like i don't i don't have to be defensive of any of them right we they, they were open to to our critique um yes, to yes. to our full assessment here and we can kind of dabble uh, in that from week to week. So we hope you check out these subsequent episodes. Pick up a copy of Civil War. It's 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 pretty readily available in multiple formats. Um, and I think you'll get something out of that participatory experience. Or if you like, uh, just simply listen along. And maybe maybe we'll pick up a few uh, maybe a few habits, few ideas, learn some new key terms, and ultimately get uh, get stimulated in a positive direction. With that being said, we look forward to future sessions, uh, and we will uh, we'll be here to talk about all of them on Special Topics in Media. Special Topics in Media is presented in cooperation with the Communication, Media, and Ethics Program at Mid-America Christian University. Special Topics is written and produced by Garrett Castleberry, Executive Advisor Scott McMurray, Audio Engineer and Executive Producer Will McMurray, Graphic Design by Allison Garner, and music composed by Austin Foster.